Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. Today's scripture reading comes to us from 1 Corinthians 13, and we believe that all of scripture is God-breathed, and therefore these words come to us as if Jesus Christ were saying them to us, to us himself. So let's hear together, if I can see, the word of the Lord. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's, it's funny and can be sad when you stop and think about uh, what we are centering our lives on, what, what so often we spend so much time thinking about, uh, what we think will make us worth something what we think will give us joy, what will give us satisfaction in life. I was reading an essay by David Sedaris uh, called Friends, and he was recounting uh, a memory that he had in middle school when he was at the local swimming pool one summer where he grew up in Raleigh. And uh, he said this, um, he said, I was in the snack bar listening to a group of sixth graders who lived in another part of town and sat discussing significant changes in their upcoming school year. According to the girl named Janet, neither Pam Dobbins nor J.J. Jackson had been invited to the 4th of July party hosted by the Pile Twins, who later later told Kimberly Matthews that both Pam and Mike were out of the picture as far as the 7th grade was concerned. Totally, completely out, Janet said. Poof. I didn't know, now it's back to David, I didn't know any Pam Dobbins or J.J. Jackson, but the reverential tone of Janet's voice sent me into a state of mild shock. Call me naive, but it simply had never occurred to me that other schools might have their own celebrity circles. At the age of 12, I thought that the group at E.C. Brooks Middle School was if not nationally known, then at least its own private phenomenon. 
Why else would we revolve our lives around them? I myself was not a member of the school's popular crowd, but recall thinking that whoever they were, Janet's popular crowd couldn't begin to compete with ours. Then I worried that our popular crowd couldn't compare to those in Charlotte or Greensboro, not to mention the thousands of schools located in other states. What if I'd wasted my entire life comparing myself to people who didn't really matter? And I think a, a lot of us can relate to this. You know, from the time that you're very little, you learn a value system. If you could just do this, if you could just be like this, then you'd be happy, then you'd be fulfilled, then you would be someone who is special. And a lot of times when we're little, as David Sedaris points out, it comes down to who you're being seen with, right? Are you seen with the popular crowd? Are you known as this person in your school? Are you sitting at the right lunch table? You know, did you get to go to the dance with the popular girl or the popular boy? And if you do these things, then you'll be popular. Then people will like you. Then you will feel validated in life. Eventually, we learn that one of the ways to get popular, to get validated, is achievement, right? And so we say, well, if I I can use these things that I'm good at, right? I can be good at sports, and people will think I'm cool, or I could be good at music. People will like me, or eventually, you know, as you grow and you get into college, well, I can be really smart. I can get into good colleges. And then as you become adults, I make money. I get notoriety. I do big things, and people will like me. I will be important. C.S. Lewis has this great essay that I've mentioned here before. We actually talked about it at one spot at Cal called The Inner Ring. And what he says is that everyone is trying to get into some ring, some group, right? Everyone, if you will, is trying to sit at the certain, the, the right lunch table. And if I could just get into that ring, if I could just be among those people, then I would find value, then I would be important, but what he says is, once you get into that ring, whatever the ring is you're trying to get into, you realize that there's actually another ring that you're really supposed to be in, that the really powerful people are in, that the really influential people, the really special people are in this ring. And then if you find that ring, there's always another ring. And then maybe along the way, you have these David Sedaris moments where you realize there's all these other rings out there that care, could care less about you, and they don't even know your ring exists. If you're building your life around one of these rings, you know, if your goal, your, your goal right now, and you wouldn't say this because you're, you've learned better, but if your goal is to be, you know, the best salesman in Atlanta or to have the biggest business in Georgia or to have the biggest and best church around or to be the coolest kid at E.C. Brooks Middle School, your life will ultimately leave you feeling very small, probably depressed, and never at peace. But what if I told you that there was something that you could build your life on that would last, that actually would satisfy you? What if I told you that you could build your life on something that was ultimate, that something that would actually make you feel validated? That's what you're after. You want to be validated. You want to be affirmed. And that's not a bad feeling. It's just those rings that you're pursuing aren't the things that will validate you. They're not the things that will ultimately make you feel whole. But what if there was? 
What if there was something that you could be pursuing that really would give you that longing in your heart that you, you, you feel so deeply? And this is exactly what this passage of Scripture is about. This is Paul talking to us about the ultimate inner ring. He says this is at the center of the universe. Actually, it's introduced. We didn't read it. Matthew didn't read it. But in chapter 12, he says this. I actually don't like the ESV translation here. If you look at the last verse of chapter 12, verse 31, he says, let me show you a more excellent way. The the Greek is hyperbolin. It, it's the same word where we get the word hyperbole, which is to exaggerate for effect, but you can, you can feel the intensity of the word. This is the supreme way. NIV, I think, if you have an NIV, it says, let me show you the greatest way. The New Living Translation, which I really like the way they, they say it, it says, now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Now, of course, you've just heard the passage. You're familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, many of us have heard this if you've ever been to a wedding, basically, you have heard this passage read. And this way of life that Paul is talking about here is love. And you may say to yourself, okay, this sounds nice, it sounds good, but what does it mean? What are you talking about, Jason? What does it mean to actually build your life on love? What does it mean that I'll actually be satisfied by love? How can I actually find my center here? And if those are questions that you've asked before, then I'm glad you came today because that's exactly what this passage of Scripture is addressing. And I think it's a great passage for us as we cap off our series on friendship. As I mentioned before in the interview, you know, C.S. Lewis said that friendship is the least necessary of all the loves. It's the least functional of all the loves. And therefore, it requires the most love. It requires the most intentional and real love. So this passage teaches us that love is the most excellent way, as it says, the way of life that is best of all. And the three things I want to look at with you today is, first of all, the importance of love. Secondly, the way of love. How does this kind of work itself out? And then lastly, and we'll actually spend most of the time at the end today, the perfection of love. So the importance of love. You know, Paul starts this whole section, and you don't miss over these first three Verses, it's, it's really an amazing thing he's saying here. Let's go to the next slide there. Uh, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries. I mean, this is, this is a big statement. I have all knowledge, but, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. How about this one? If I give away all that I have, if I deliver my body to be burned, if I die a martyr's death, but have not love, I gain nothing. There is a sense where Paul is saying here, you can have beauty, you can have talent, you can have achievement, you can have amazing efforts, but if you don't have love, you are nothing and you get nothing. He is saying there is a way to do great things for the Lord. There's a way to be sacrificial to the point of death. And he says in this, if you don't have love, you are nothing and you get nothing. Paul is saying here, there is actually a way to live your whole life, to do all these great things with only yourself in mind. And you can be beautiful and talented and great and do great things. And in the end, it is 
worthless. Verse 1 through 3 is daunting if you've ever really paid attention to it. You know, I, I, wish, you know, I wish you could get something without love, right? You know, it's like, well, maybe I could just get a C if I don't love. You know, some of you all know that I, uh, I teach occasionally church history classes for Midwestern Seminary. And, you know, I always take late work, right? I always take late work, but you can never get an A. You can't get an A if it's late. But you can get a B. It's better than nothing. Go ahead and turn in your late work. I always say, turn in your late work. Yeah, I, wish, I wish this was it. I, I, I wish, you know, if, if maybe you're sacrificial, you're hardworking, but you didn't love, the love wasn't at the center of your heart, you at least get credit for something. But God doesn't grade the same way I do. Now, the point here is, that our beauty and achievement and our sacrifice and all these things, they were intended for us to love. That God gave them, God gave us these gifts so that we could love him and so that we could love others. The point is here, if you miss love, you miss everything. So how do you know if you're loving? And that gets us to the second point. How do you know if you're loving? And that's the way of love here. How do you know that your relationships with one another and your relationships with God are truly marked by love? Well, first, love is patient. How do you know if something is really loving? How do you know if you're really loving? Are you patient? Love is patient. The word here is uh, markothemeo. It means, it, it, it literally means the one who knows how to suffer. Uh, in fact, you know, some translations will say love is long-suffering it's actually a better translation. It knows, someone who knows how to suffer, the old King James, love suffereth long. And it's interesting that Paul starts here. What shows love? Patience. Patience. Suffering for a long time. Being there for a long time. Sticking around. That shows love. We've talked about this. Consistency. You know, I was thinking about this. Yesterday, I did the wedding of Hannah Rolliter and Tyler Hart. Great. Such a great little couple. I was so happy to be a part of that uh, wedding. And I was just thinking about love and falling in love. And uh, it's such a magical thing, you know. And I was thinking about how, how, you know, kind of amazing it is when you really fall in love with someone. I was thinking about a first kiss, you know. You know, a first kiss, let's be honest, that's, a, that's exciting, you know. It's, it's fun. There's a thrill about it. But the great thing about a first kiss is not so much love. You know, it, it's not so much that you're kissing her, it's that she's kissing you. You know, it's not love that makes a first kiss so great. It's ego, right? It's, she thinks I'm awesome. She's kissing me. She thinks I'm great right now. But the 10,000th kiss, right? Ego wears off, right? We know she's into me, you know? That's been well established. It's not new. There's no thrill of ego there. No, the 10,000th kiss, the, the long-suffering kiss, and again, the 10,000th kiss is great. Don't get me wrong. But the, the kiss that comes through length, the kiss that comes through consistency, through time, well, that's a kiss of love. You don't get to the 10,000th kiss unless you've suffered with a person, unless you've been there with a person. At that moment, the energy of the kiss is not so ego-driven. It's not so inward-driven. It's actually outward-driven. 
And that's the essence of love. Love is patient. It sticks around. It's willing to wait. It's willing to endure. Secondly, as love is kind, you know, we live in a tough world, and it's getting tougher, right? Kindness is a rare thing. Um, and, and in this world, it's hard to be kind. Now, don't confuse kindness with weakness. We're not talking about being weak. We're not talking about being passive. We're not talking about avoiding hard things. That's not, so don't, don't confuse what kindness is. Now, kindness has the essence of consideration for others, of being gentle. You can be incredibly tough. You can do hard things. You can be incredibly strong and be gentle and be considerate. Love is kind. Now, I want to say something, and I'm not trying to make a political statement here, but I have heard a lot of Christians celebrating in the public sphere unkind behavior saying, I'm finally glad, I'm so glad we have this going on because it's getting stuff done. And the behavior that they're celebrating is incredibly unkind, is incredibly cruel. Now look, I want you to hear this. Kindness may not always be popular. Kindness may not always be expedient. Hear this. Kindness may not always get the job done as quickly as you want it to. And that's the point, right? It doesn't matter if you pass the legislation. It doesn't matter if you create a good economy. It doesn't matter if you move the mountain or surrender your body to the flames. If you don't have love, you get nothing. And love is kind. Verse 4 and 5 kind of go together. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant, it is not rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful. Here's the deal, love is humble, it's not self-centered. Love is not always thinking about itself, right? That's the essence of love, it's others directed, it's, it's energy going out from you to be loving. It's energy directed away from oneself. And so listen to this. Love does not envy. You know, Christians can be some of the most envious people I've ever heard, I've ever seen. We feel like we're so sacrificial, right? We're Christians, you know. You know, we see somebody else being successful because they're doing this, and we we always say, well, I wonder if he's really happy. Like, I just want to say this. If there are people, if 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 there are people if there aren't people, rather, in your life that you're celebrating, if you find yourself rarely celebrating the achievements of others, if you find yourself, when something good happens to others, kind of finding another way to knock them down a little bit, to bring them down to earth, if you find yourself not wanting to be around people that are more successful than you in life, that are ahead of you in life, chances are you're envious. And love does not envy. And if you don't have love, you are nothing and you get nothing. Love does not boast. It's not arrogant. Love is not always looking for a way to talk about how loving it is. John Bridges, who goes to our church, serves a lot at City of Refuge, which is a wonderful ministry in our town. And whenever he goes to serve there, he doesn't let anybody that goes with him bring uh, their phone, bring, you know, their Instagram machine, if you will. And, you know, 
I'm not saying that it's ever wrong to take a picture and share something on Instagram, but, but he, he wants them to have a posture. I'm not just here to serve these people so they can serve my ego. Is there anybody in your life that you're serving, serving, really serving without expecting anything else in return? You know, and just being faithful with it, just being consistent with it. You know, love, guys, you know, you know what, love, love is a lot of times very normal stuff. If any time you do something that you think is so serving and you're, you're compelled to like attach a bunch of adjectives to it, it may not actually be loving. It may be ego. Love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable, meaning love, is, love doesn't get angry all the time. Love is easy to get along with. You're happy when love comes into the room, right? It's not a drain. And I just want to say, look, if you're, you get a lot of stuff done, you could be incredibly talented, you could be really smart, you could work really hard, but if you're irritable, if you're rude, if you complain all the time, you get nothing. You are nothing. And last, love is not resentful. Now, again, I don't like the translation here. Some translations say love does, keeps no record of wrong. Literally, the, the text is love doesn't tally evil. In other words, love forgives. When evil is done against you, you forgive. It, it keeps no record of wrong. It, it doesn't resent the wrong that's been done to you. Love keeps no record of wrong. You know what forgiveness is? You know, in the 90s, and maybe still today, but you'd read in the paper every once in a while about nuclear disarmament, right? You know what nuclear disarmament? It's like where people make an agreement and they're going to get rid of their nuclear weapons. And, you know, like usually the USA and Russia, Russia's going to get rid of some nuclear weapons. The United States is going to get rid of some nuclear weapons. They're going to disarm themselves. And you, you read about these things and you get a little nervous, right? Because you always think to yourself, well, what if Russia doesn't get rid of their, you know? What if we get rid of all this stuff and they don't get rid of theirs? Is this really a good decision? But anyway, I'm, I'm not trying to make a political statement with that. But the point is, that's what forgiveness is like. It's disarming. It's get, getting rid of the nuclear warheads you have against the person who's hurt you. It's saying, I forgive you. I'm going to get rid of these. I'm not going to use them later in life when I need to. I'm not going to attack you with these things that you've done that have hurt me. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to keep no record of wrong. I'm not going to tally your evil. That's what love does. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Truth. Love does not rejoice with injustice. Love hates injustice, but rejoices with the truth. Love pursues justice. It pursues what it's right, even when it's not expedient. I was having a conversation with a guy this week. This guy, he wants to do the right thing in a relationship. He wants to be reconciled in this relationship that's been broken. He desperately wants it, and it's right that he wants it. He, he is right to want reconciliation. We're talking about this thing, and there's, there's a way that he could serve the person that he wants to be reconciled with and we were talking about it, but we were saying that he, the person may never know that he's doing this. And, you know, he's kind of thinking, if they just knew, maybe it would help reconciliation. And he's right. He should, he is right to be motivated by reconciliation. But we talked about it, and I said, you know what? 
you probably just need to do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. It doesn't matter if this person ever finds out. It doesn't matter if they know that you're doing this thing to serve them. It's still the right thing to do. It's still the just thing to do. Even when justice is not expedient, even when it doesn't seem to be moving the ball forward, love always does the right thing to do. Love loves truth. It loves justice. You know, you may get a lot of stuff done. You may be incredibly successful, but if you aren't pursuing justice, if you aren't pursuing truth, you've done nothing, you are nothing. I don't care what you've done, Paul says here. If it isn't built on the foundation of love, it's a zero. It's worthless. Because love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and it never ends. And so now we get to my last point, and I want us to think about this today, the perfection of love. The perfection of love. Jonathan Edwards, 18th century pastor, very famous in American history, he once preached on this passage. Y'all are just getting one sermon on it today. He once preached, and he, his sermons were like two hours too, so... I better not see anybody checking their watches today. But anyway, his sermon was like two hours, and he preached 12, I think, maybe 13 sermons on 1 Corinthians 13. But the last one's the most famous. It's, it's this sermon called Heaven, a World of Love. And in the sermon, Edwards talks about experiencing the unfiltered fountain of God's love. He talks about experiencing what that's really like. He, he's playing on the part of the passage when it talks about the perfection has come, when we know what is perfect. And this is what he's talking about. That, that perfection is love. Edward says, the apostle tells us, he's quoting a different verse here, in 1 John 4, 8, he, he, the apostle tells us that God is love, 1 John 4, 8. And therefore... Seeing he is an infinite being, it follows that he is an infinite fountain of love. Seeing that he's an all-sufficient being, it follows that he is a full and overflowing and an inexhaustible fountain of love. Seeing that he is unchangeable and eternal being, he is an unchangeable and eternal source of love. There, even in heaven, dwells that God from whom every stream of holy love, yea, every drop that is or ever was proceeds. The reason that this is the most excellent way, the reason that this is the bedrock, this is the, the point of the sermon here, the reason that, that everything hinges on this is don't you see, love is the essential nature of God. It is the essential essence of God. God is love. It is God's essential essence from all eternity. Hear this, from all eternity, from all eternity, past, present, and future, the eternal, unchangeable, almighty Father has been pouring out his unchangeable, eternal, and almighty love onto the Son, onto the Spirit. From all eternity, the Son has been pouring out his almighty, unchangeable, everlasting, perfect love onto the Father, onto the Spirit. From all eternity to all eternity, the Spirit of God has been pouring out his unchangeable, perfect, 
unblemished, good and holy love onto the Father and onto the Son in this eternal, to use the word of Edwards here, fountain of love flowing over with all patience and all kindness and all goodness toward one another. And I just want you to hear this. This is the ultimate inner ring. There's no ring like this. Everyone in the ring is perfect. Everyone in the ring is almighty. Everyone in the ring is everlasting. Everyone in the ring is trustworthy and good. This is the ring where there are no better rings. This is the ring from which all rings go out. And it's the longest lasting ring. And it's the most satisfying ring. And the mystery and wonder of the Christian gospel is this that God is inviting you into the ring. He's inviting you to sit at this lunch table and enjoy this fountain of his never-ending love. It's as if God had this idea. You know how we're really going to show and display this perfect love that we enjoy in the Godhead? We are going to invite sinful and unworthy men and women into this fountain. Edwards goes on to say, there in the fountain, this fountain of love, this eternal three in one, is set open without any obstacle to hinder access to it. There, this glorious God manifests and shines forth in full glory, in beams of love. There, the fountain overflows in streams and rivers of love and delight, enough for all to drink at and all to swim in, yea, so as to overflow to the world as it were a deluge of love. And the way you get in, the way you drink from this deluge, the way you swim in this fountain, the way you get in is the gospel. Now, you may be thinking, oh, I know how to get in, Jason. I get the point of the sermon. I've got to be more patient. I've got to be more kind. I've got to be less irritable. I get it. I know how to get in. I've got to do those things. And if that's what you're thinking, that's the gospel. I've got to do these things. This is the gospel. You're missing the gospel. <laughs> that's not how the invitation comes. God isn't displaying his love by inviting the worthy people into the ring. No one is worthy of this ring. No one gets into this ring by achievement. No, God is actually displaying his love by inviting unworthy people in. Jesus came to identify with unworthy and sinful people like us, to take on our unworthiness, to take on all our failings, to take on all of our selfishness, all of our failure to love, and he died in our place. He paid our debts so that we could get in. That is our invitation. That is our merit. There's nothing that we have to offer him. There's no good that we could give him that we would be accepted. In the Old Testament, there's a story in the prophet Hosea, and 
If you're unfamiliar with this story, it's an Old Testament prophet who God tells, holy man of God, who God tells to go and marry a prostitute. And he does. He obeys. He goes and marries this prostitute, and he loves her, and he's a good husband to her. And they have a child together. And then this prostitute, her name is Gomer, she's unfaithful to him. He's given her everything. He's pursued her. He loves her. He has a child with her. She runs out, and she's with all these other men. And she goes out and has children with these other men. And you know what God says? Go and love her again. Go and love her again. Now, this is a true story, but the reason God tells us this story and be faithful to her, and he raises, Hosea goes to be with Gomer, and he raises these children from other men, and he loves her fully. And the reason God tells us, this is a true story, but the reason God tells us this true story is to demonstrate this. God's love is made manifest by the unworthiness of Gomer. Hosea's love is made manifest by the unworthiness of Gomer. It's such great love because Gomer is so unworthy. And God is saying, Israel, don't you see how much I love you because you're so unworthy yet I keep pursuing you. And this is what God is saying to you. It's actually our unworthiness that manifests God's love, that proves God's love. It's when you come to grips with your unworthiness. It's when you come to grips with your bankruptcy before a holy God that God can step in and really display how deeply he loves you. Every other ring in your life, every other ring that you want to get in, it's dependent on achievement. How do you get into the ring, right? You do something. You provide something. You show you're special. I'm here. Look what I've done. Here's my resume. Will you let me in? Will you let me in? Look, I've done this. I've done this. When we give introductions, I've done this. I've done that. Let me in the ring. Yo, you're important now. You're accepted here. And because of that, because every ring depends on achievement, every ring consists of marketing all the time, right? That's why life in the other rings is always full of arrogance, of boasting, of impatience, of resentfulness. Don't you see? The whole ring system is built on this. How could you not be resentful? How could you not be impatient? How could you celebrate others? Because your position in the ring is so fragile. Don't you see how different this is? God is saying, no, you're not in the ring because of what you have achieved. You're actually in the ring because of what you haven't achieved. You're here based on my merit and based on my love. And when you get this, when you begin to see this, when you begin to see how deeply God loves you, even though you're not worthy of it, it changes you, it shapes you. Your response to this will be love. Your response to this, you'll actually then and only then be able to actually love without expecting anything in return, to give yourself to others, to not have a marketplace relationship, but to really love to experience this fountain of love. Same John in John, 1 John 4 that said, God is love says we do love because he first loved us. This is how we can love. This is how love is going to be manifested here. So again, don't walk away from here, hearing today, be more patient, be more kind. I, I want that to be true of you, but it's only going to be true of you when you realize how unkind you are and how unworthy of God's love you are, yet you realize that he still loves you and he still pursues you. 
And he's inviting you into the ultimate inner ring that lasts. And if you've experienced this, your response is love. Love for God and love for another. And this is why the local church is so important. Because this is where you begin to experience that. This is where, this is our laboratory to display. How do you know that you've really experienced the love of God? Well, are you loving people? Is there anyone in your life that you're concerned with? How are you acting with one another? Are you patient with one another? Are you envious of one another? Are you proud? Are you rude? Or are you actually living in a loving way? This this is evidence of God's work in your life. And I so desperately want for this community to be a community of God-motivated, cross-driven, spirit-filled, and heaven-hopeful love. Do you know how great that would be? How much the fountain would be known among us. One of the things that Edwards said when talking about this, of this mutual love that is the result of God's love, he says, no inhabitants of that blessed world will ever be grieved with the thought that their love for others is not fully and fondly returned. Don't you wish you could love and it'd always be safe? Lay yourself out there and know that your love would be fully and fondly returned. That you, you could trust others with your heart. Well, sadly, we're not in heaven yet. <laughs> and I can't promise you that. But I can say this. This is a good community to try and to begin forming a heart that truly loves, and, and to have a heart that is so filled by God's love that you can risk actually loving others. You know, one of the things that I said in the second week is that our capacity to give love is only as great as our capacity to receive love. In other words, here's what I mean by that. You can only give what you have. You can only give what you have. You know, some of you, love is really hard because you don't, you haven't experience the gospel that fully. You haven't experienced love for one another. You can only give what you have, but I I just want to encourage you and urge you today with what you have, invest it. Give it to the community and it will grow. Believe that God will give you more. Believe that as you invest yourself into others, you will receive from them and your love and your heart will grow. Jump into community. Jump into a a group of people. Serve with people. Love people. Seek to serve people. Invest the love, the investment of love that God has given you and that love will grow. And I believe and I do believe that this is a good place. It's not totally complete. It's not totally safe, but I believe that you're among people who aren't perfect, but they're pursuing the Lord. And of all the things that Jesus could have said, how will people know that you're really a disciple? He said, it's in the way that you love one another. Because if you're really a disciple, you realize that you've been loved and the response to love is love. That's how the world knows. That's how people will know. That's the test. It's not based on your merit. It's based on what God has done for us. You know, one day, you're not going to need a preacher. And some of you are like, looking forward to that day. You know, this says prophecy is going to cease. One day, all the gifts are going to cease. You know, one day, even we won't even need faith. We won't even need faith. You know, we, we do all these things. We're here because we need faith. We need each other because we need faith. We're about to take the Lord's Supper because we need to, because it strengthens our faith. One day you're not going to need faith. 
because your faith will be given over to sight. One day, you're not going to need hope. You're not even going to need hope. We're not even going to hope anymore because our hope will all be fulfilled. But one of the things we'll always have forever is love because God is love. He is a fountain of love. It is his essence, and his essence is known in us when we love him and when we love one another. And so I couldn't think of a better way to close our service than with communion, with the Lord's table. God has given us, as even as we talked about last week, this, this beautiful reminder where we can enter into the drama. We can enter into the drama of God's love. You know, the very first time that Passover was taken, which is what God is intending for us to uh, understand more fully as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But the very first time that Passover was taken, it was on this amazing night in Egypt where the people of Israel gathered in homes, they broke bread, they drank wine, they, they covered the doorposts of their house with the blood of the lamb. And that night, millions of people in Egypt came face to face with the Almighty God and could not stand because God is holy and because God's justice is sure. And at the same time, millions of people in the, among the people of Israel came face to face with God and stood and, and were eating together and, and were seeing in a very powerful way, God loves us. God has covered us. God is protecting us and providing for us. And in that same light, as you take this meal today, be reminded of that. On your own, you cannot stand in the face of God, but God loves you. He has sent you a lamb, a better lamb than they had among the Hebrew people in Egypt that night. A lamb whose blood will cover you, will cover all of your sin. A lamb who invites you in to the ultimate inner ring, to the very love of God, this fountain of love that's been flowing for all of eternity. So remember that as you take this meal. But also, in response to this meal, uh, today as we take it, in a few minutes I'm going to invite you forward, I just want to invite you to love one another too. And I, I don't exactly know what that means for you, but after you come forward to take this meal, some of you may need to just continue. You just may, it may, your response may be to go to your seat and just worship. Some of you need to go to someone in here and apologize. Some of you need to go to someone in here and just encourage them. Just say, hey, I just want you to know when you did this, it so encouraged me. Thank you. Some of you maybe need to go to a friend that you know is hurting and just pray with them. But you know what? This, this can be a wonderful time. How are we going to respond to God's love for us? Let's respond by loving one another. And some of you, if you're new here, you may be saying, well, I don't, I, yeah, what am I supposed to do? You, you do what you need to do. I just want you to have freedom to respond to what God is doing in your heart and what he's doing in our life as a church body. So here in a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to come forward. This is a meal for those who have experienced the love of God by professing faith in Jesus and by letting that be known through baptism. And so if you're here today and you're exploring Christianity and you're not a believer, it's, it's okay. I'm, I'm so glad you're here. This is not a meal for you. I'm just going to ask that you wouldn't take it out of respect for the people who are taking this in a, in a manner that 
they're doing it out of obedience because they, they believe that Jesus has been broken for them. They believe that his blood has been spilled for them. If anybody here needs for me to pray with you, I just would love that opportunity. And I'll be standing in the back. Blake will be standing, one of our other pastors. And I invite you to come and uh, just see us, ask any questions that you have. I'm going to pray for us. And then as Matt leads us, I'm going to invite you to come. Father, I pray that you'd be at work in our midst now. Um, that we would experience the, the weight, the goodness of the gospel that the eternal fountain of love has reached out and has called us in through Christ and that and that love has has been displayed in this deep way our our, our unworthiness required death our unworthiness required brokenness but that is a price that our lord jesus was willing to pay to invite us in may we experience this fountain today as we remember this great manifestation of your love that's seen in the cross. May we experience life and health and healing. May you be at work among us and through us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678 951 9041. Or feel free to email Jason at jason at christcovenant.com.